it is time once again for us to take a long rest. episode of A Long Rest. We have fought our battles, cast our spells, and exhausted our abilities, so it's time now to take a break around the campfire. While we are preparing our spells, sharpening our swords, and communing with our deities and patrons, we are also taking some time to talk about stories we have heard and things we remember. Because I love random chaos, we're going to start by rolling up some random characters using a random character generator. I'll post a link in the show notes and on our website for those who are interested. I am your party leader, Bob, uh, but I am also today Gregor Kildid, a level 9 wild magic sorcerer human who's a bit of a hermit, I guess. But that might not be a bad thing because uh, wild magic sorcerers, random fireballs and whatnot, being a hermit probably isn't the worst thing in the world. So joining me around the campfire today is Micah, and he is a level 2 lightfoot halfling monk who is a street urchin. So, all right. Micah, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in uh, tabletop RPGs, some of your experiences, that kind of thing, and then let us know a little bit about your halfling monk. So, uh, I really am actually all things considered fairly new to tabletop RPGs. Uh, my first foray into the whole adventure was, if I remember right, it was a kind of drop-in, drop-out GURPS campaign that I played while I was living down in southern Mississippi. Um, I really enjoyed that, and then eventually another friend of mine that I worked with started a fourth edition campaign that actually played into a little bit of uh, what I decided to do with Magnus as far as my class went. And from there, any chance I got to play in tabletop games, I was all for. I've been involved in some Pathfinder games, um, dabbled a little bit with the Star Wars RPG. Uh, of course, Numenera, as evidenced by the character we'll be discussing later. So the more I play, the more I love tabletop RPGs in general. I'm always looking for new experiences and you know, new systems to try, so uh, that's really it, it. Really fits my personality to to do stuff like this. As far as my uh, halfling monk here is concerned, ha- halflings are actually a uh, a race that I really like playing. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, so it it helps. Uh, being a street urchin, he was, I would say, having to duck around all of the uh, thugs and bullies kind of led him to try to find a means to protect himself and, you know, his his personal, what few belongings he had. And so it wasn't long before he went to find a monastery to train at to become the monk that he is today. He's still fairly new to the whole adventuring scene. And so always looking for new parties, new, new, new groups to, to travel with to uh, enhance his skills. And of course, one day throughout his travels, he, uh, heard from someone about this crazy machine man wandering the lands looking for who knows what, who knows where, but uh, learned a little bit more about him and was uh, quite eager to spread the news of one Magnus Orion. 
That is awesome. Sounds like there could be a little bit of bard multi-classing in, uh, in that halfling's future there, uh, storytelling. So speaking of Magnus, go ahead and uh, while our companions are busy memorizing their spells and keeping watch, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Magnus. So who is Magnus? How did he get started? Kind of what is his whole essence of being? So Magnus is really kind of an oddity for me in that I am really big when I go to make my characters into creating this whole expansive backstory as to who they are, where they came from, their motives, their goals. But when uh, Terry came to me and wanted to start a Numenera campaign, this was really our first time with the setting, and so I didn't have a good grasp on what I needed to do to make a good character. And so it really just started out with, I just knew I wanted to play a cyborg. It was a setting that was perfect for it. And just came up with a name and decided he was going to wield pole arms. And everything else about Magnus just kind of hashed itself out throughout the first few sessions and eventually became the, the really one of the more in-depth characters I've ever played and one of my favorites. Um, <clears throat> as far as the character himself, he grew up in a in an area called the City of Bridges, which uh, is on the western coast of the Ninth World, if any of you are familiar with the New Era setting, you'll know that he, he was he was out there a ways. He uh, left his home, joined a mercenary band, which is where he met one of the uh, one of the other characters they actually shared a, a, a past bond with, which is a really interesting feature of Numenera. Your character is going to share a bond with another character that gives grants each of you special abilities based on it. So the character that he was really familiar with was, uh, was a character that Luke played. Uh, his name was Halcyon. And he's actually, Halcyon, we decided, was actually responsible for most of Magnus's cybernetic augmentations. He actually installed them, if you will, during Magnus's time with the mercenary band. Interestingly enough, those augmentations were not voluntary. <laughs> uh, most of them are, yeah, uh, most of them were a result of Magnus disobeying direct orders that he felt were beyond human decency. Magnus is a man of virtue and honor, and he wasn't too fond of doing things that he felt were excessive. And so the higher-ups decided if he felt they were beyond human decency, they would do everything they could to remove his humanity. Um, eventually, Magnus helped him, or Halcyon helped Magnus desert from the mercenary band, and then he ended up doing a bunch of odd jobs as bodyguards, city watch type stuff, until he met the group that he eventually joined up with and uh, went on probably one of the more interesting adventures that I've ever been involved with, and uh, it was actually one that TJ wrote up himself and did a really good job with really making it fit in with the aesthetics of the world. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the whole how everything worked, but it centered around a, a number of locations. Uh, the first where we really find out Magnus's uh, passion for, for those that he, he travels with was in an area called the Rust, which is just a fantastically horrifying place to visit. <laughs> um, traveling through a bunch of old derelict buildings that don't look like buildings from the outside, they encountered an entity called the Mother, which is basically the, the machine mind that controls the inner workings of this area. Um, made friends with a uh, 
a small robot that he actually helped that he he ended up dismantling and freeing from a trashed out robot body um, carried it around with him was a sense was a bit of mechanical companionship for for him uh, and actually this uh, we ended up naming him little buddy actually joined Magnus in his later adventures after we ported him over um, but while exploring those deeps that they were in uh, encountered some very hostile enemies that kind of overwhelmed the group and Magnus just about laid his life on the line for him. He came very, very, very close to dying. And if it hadn't been for that bond that he had with Halcyon that actually let Halcyon overclock him, if you will, to be able to escape, they never would have made it out. Later on in, in the rust is actually where Magnus gets another piece of, another really key piece of equipment that he has. They encountered a group of humanoid-ish creatures, really hard to describe. Um, Terry would do a better job of, of giving them a good description, but a very uh, reclusive group that are make that actually make their their lives somehow flourish as best they can in this hostile environment. But uh, the, the the thing about the rust is there are massive windstorms that kick up at night and blow up sand and, and rust and dust and nastiness that are actually damaging to organic creatures and uh, somehow these beings are able to traverse this land at night thanks to some special cloaks they wear. Magnus, being a little bit uh, overzealous, was continuously asking about said cloaks uh, only to, upon departure, be offered one only to find out that these cloaks are actually made from the skin of these creatures. It's kind of their way that whenever one of they they can't afford to let anything go to waste, so whenever one of them dies, their bodies are repurposed for use within the group. But they, they offered Magnus one on the sole condition that when he dies, his body is returned to the cycle there. So it's one of the many promises that he's made that he's determined to keep, so he's hoping to find a way back home if for no other reason that when he finally does go, he can keep his promise to these creatures. There were a lot of other kind of minor adventures that, that they found themselves in. Um, another one that really comes to mind related to him was uh, it really shows not only his sense of protection, but his sense of almost outlaw justice. He's very much an eye for an eye type fellow. And uh, it was a situation where he was out... I can't remember why he was separated from the group, but while he was out, his friends were attacked by a group of bandits. And when he returned and saw them fighting them, trying to fight them off, most of his companions were trying to incapacitate the bandits without causing any lasting harm. Whereas Magnus, being who he is, wasn't having any of it and has no qualms about killing anyone who hurts his friends or shows that you know his opponent has no real love for human life themselves and he will he will do whatever it takes to make sure that his friends make it out alive and that actually caused quite a bit of stress with the party there for a while uh, their their insistence on protecting these bandits from an even greater threat that showed up later and Magnus's disregard for these individuals who you know sought nothing but to hurt his friends in his eyes was willing to do was willing to throw these bandits in harm's way let them take all the punishment that he could in order to keep 
his companion safe, further travels and eventually what led to Magnus's eventual transportation to the mysterious realm he found himself in later, i.e. the 5th edition scenario that we played, involved a lot of interesting events that led to them investigating this temple, finding a gateway that led to this massive white room where they fought an incredibly difficult enemy that they we actually didn't beat it. That was where our campaign kind of ended due to scheduling conflicts. But, uh, basically found Magnus laying there half, you know, bleeding out half to death and insisting on chasing down this fiend that had just run off and left them there in a room with no way out. And so Magnus kind of, and, and his sense of justice and really almost suicidal nature, if you will, he's, he's, he doesn't really care about his own well-being when it comes to making sure that people who can't defend themselves are safe set off just in a straight line where he saw this thing going off was where he was going eventually he collapses and in a last ditch effort to uh to save him and you know escape the the rest of the group kind of channels a bit of the mystical energies of Numenera and opens up a portal that ends up dropping Magnus and at least Halcyon, maybe a few of the others, into uh, Feyran, and that's where we ended up finding him later. So a lot of really crazy things can happen in Numenera, and just the the nature of it really led to a, a fairly seamless transition as far as something that could conceivably happen to, to bring one of my favorite characters to a situation where I can play him again, thankfully. That is awesome. I do remember there was a couple of times that uh, Luke made mention to Halcyon. I wonder if Halcyon is down there further in the deal. And, and that was really kind of cool to see some of that little backstory and whatnot. Uh, wordplay find its way in. And Little Buddy was able to help you. And that special cloak. I remember there was another time when uh, we talked about camping, not having tents and sleeping on the hard ground. And you made mention to that special cloak. So that is really cool to see that kind of kind of fit back in. As far as Halcyon is, in, is concerned, you said that it was kind of, you have this bond with him and it's very, um, he kind of forced those upgrades on you and whatnot. Would it be a very kind of love-hate relationship kind of a thing? or um, Initially, it probably would have been. However, beings that Halcyon helped Magnus get away from the, the really, really savage mercenary band and after having a lot more conversations between the two of them, discovering that Halcyon himself was reticent to to do the work, but you know it was really more to save both of their skins in the end. Magnus has a lot of respect for Halcyon. He does have some trust issues, especially in relation to uh, the events that, that took place with the bandits. Um, namely, because not only can not only does Halcyon have the ability to kind of overcharge Magnus. To, to, to a state that lets him, you know, carry on in the most dire of circumstances. But he also has kind of a pseudo-kill command for him that will actually shut down all of Magnus's machine bar parts and leave him, for all intents and purposes, immobile. And that came into play when dealing with those bandits. So Magnus respects Halcyon, but like I said, does have those those instances where he's like, uh, about him. <laughs> How do you feel uh, episodes 9 through 11 on the Homebrew podcast, uh, when you poured him over, how well 
And how close of a fit do you feel the Arcanatron and the Avenger class were to that Numenera, uh, I guess, feel, gameplay, all of that? So the Arcanatron is a is an almost perfect fit for, for what Magnus was with the few modifications that we made incorporating the more organic structure, the fact that Magnus isn't entirely robotic, that he's more of a cyborg, but really that's about the best that you're going to get without finding a full-on cyborg class. But I really, I was really pleased with the way that, that everything kind of meshed out for it. It really felt like Magnus was Magnus, he was utilizing the the Arcanatron race. As far as the Avenger class, it wouldn't really have a good analog into the uh, the Numenera setting because the Avenger is, of course, a faith based a faith based class, which is one of my favorite types of classes to play, and especially in this situation where it's more of a damage dealing cleric as opposed to a support cleric. But um, the main reason I, I opted for the Avenger was, for one, one of the characters that I played in my first 4th edition campaign was an Avenger, and I really liked their mechanics. And two, their focus on heavy weapons and you know not utilizing a whole lot of armor really fit well with Magnus being a polar user. He, uh, he had a halberd in our... Uh, in our Numenera campaign, and then the, the whole idea that his only armor was essentially that cloak that he wore really fit well with with the well, and, and being more of a, a tanky character as opposed to you know, like say your 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 rogue or your monk that would be uh, a little bit more dodgy, but not like to be in the middle of the fray. The Avenger fits well with Magnus's personality. The like I said, the the whole you know kind of half caster aspect of it doesn't quite as much. Um, as far as what I would have done differently for a class, means that it worked well enough as it was. I hadn't really, I haven't really looked into it much. So if I could find something more along the lines of maybe like a fighter archetype that utilizes heavy weapons with light armor or no armor, it'd probably fit better for the kind of character Magnus is. That is one of the things that is always hard about going between systems and genres a little bit, because I know Numenera does have that, can have that more advanced society technology type feel, like you said, with the the cyborgs and all that kind of stuff. So that would be a little bit hard to port straight into a Faerun type D&D 5e non-traditional type setting. So, tell us a little bit about his adventure in the podcast while you guys took on the Emerald Spire and his role that he played. So I honestly think Magnus was thankful for the party that he had for once. Um, his group with in the, in the Numenera campaign was a whole lot squishier. Um, <laughs> it was it was made up of I think a couple of nanos and a jack, if I remember right. And we had an occasional another another glaive, another kind of tankier character that showed up every now and then. But for the most part, Magnus was the meat. And so the group that he joined up with for the Emerald Spire was almost a godsend to him because Virgil was playing... That was his Atavist, wasn't it? Yeah, Virgil played the Atavist. Uh, Luke was... Um, uh, Luke played his Torn Shaman. TJ played his um, Cheese Man. Um, but yeah, having, having uh, Luke there to really help soak up a lot of a lot of damage. Um, it really was almost, it was, it was, Magnus was thankful to have 
that kind of help. But one thing was because of the way that the party kind of fleshed itself out, some of Magnus's kind of more detrimental personality traits didn't really have a chance to come out. He didn't really have to throw himself into unwinnable situations to protect his friends because they were more than capable of protecting themselves. He was able to, especially once we hit once once we got past the the uh, the, the, the the magnet room with the troglodytes. That was <laughs> that was a bit of an experience for him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Going on to the, um, the 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 puzzle room where he eventually unlocked the door with the help of little buddy and, and you know kind of helped shut everything down. That was really one of the one of the few times where he was able to solve problems with his mind and not his fists. It was a new experience for him, something that he, he really enjoyed, but uh, not so sure if it's if it's kind of a habit he wants to get into. He, he's more of a, a man of action. Yeah, I know everybody was really concerned when you ended up having the highest charisma and were the quote-unquote voice of the party. <laughs> I know there were, Luke was, was very wide-eyed at that point. TJ was too, I believe. They were, they were both very familiar with Magnus and, and the potential for outright disaster to have him be the voice of the party. Thankfully, never, never really showed up, and uh, I think we're all lucky for it because had things been a little bit different, we could have we been in some serious trouble. <laughs> that is awesome. What all plans do you have for Magnus in the future? This can't be the end of him in the Emerald Spire here. I am sincerely hoping to end up playing him again, whether it's in a Pathfinder campaign or a New Era campaign, or in one of the off-podcast campaigns that Bob runs. Even if it's years down the road, Magnus is a character that I'm always going to keep around. If for no other reason than he is... Very much, uh, he's grown so much that you almost can't forget about him in, in my mind. Uh, you know, even just sitting down and talking with friends that, that were involved in that campaign, every now and then he'll come up and we'll 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 share a good laugh about just kind of the stupid things that, that that he ended up getting himself into. But yeah, if if I ever get the chance to play him again, and I'm always going to look for a chance to play him again, I absolutely will. He's He's definitely one of my favorite characters, right up there with one of the characters I'm playing right now that that I think you would actually get along really well with. That we may end up seeing on the podcast in the future. So that is awesome. I know that everybody is looking forward to hopefully seeing Magnus in the future, maybe in another yeah, another incarnation if uh, another class you find fits a little bit better. And I know we have announced. Um, Today, literally, while we're recording, uh, we announced the Tarask Challenge for the podcast. Though I know uh, that was one of them that Virgil, when I was talking to, said would be absolutely hilarious to see uh, go up against a Tarask, a level 20 powerhouse. He'd do it, too. He'd, he'd, he'd dive in head first, not, not caring what happened to him. <laughs> so I know we will look forward to that. I guess, is there anything else you would like to add? about Magnus before we sign off here? Really, all all I can really say is, you know, I hope that he enjoys his time in this fantasy world, but still can uh, manage to find his way back home because let's just say that the people of the rest aren't the only ones he owes a debt to back there that he intends to pay off. That is awesome. Hopefully we will see those Easter eggs in another future appearance of Magnus Orion. It's time now for our halfling friend to take his share of the watch, so while he does, I have a story to tell. But first, for more about my sorcerer, Gregor Kilded. I am Gregor Kilded. I am a level 9 wild magic sorcerer. 
I spend most of my time experimenting with magic out in the wilderness, so many call me a hermit, but I have decided to hire a troop of adventurers to come with me while I go discover the secrets of a tomb that I have heard about deep within the wilderness, while a sorcerer of my magnitude would not normally be worried about riffraff such as goblins and kobolds. I feel like, because of the chaos that surrounds me, my magic is just so powerful, it surges out uh, occasionally, and random effects happen. I, I better have some muscle to help with that. And our halfling friend definitely would bring his skills to the table. So that is my story. Alright, and for my story, back to Bob, meta, but I think you can handle the shifts. For my story, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Adventuring Guild and how it got started. I have gotten a lot of questions from people about how middle of nowhere Nebraska got started with D&D podcasting. Here's a little bit about that. It all got started kind of in a chance encounter at the Trolls Den, which was a local gaming store that unfortunately has since closed uh, in Kearney, Nebraska, which is a kind of the bigger college town. Uh, I went in because 5th edition had just come out, and I really wanted to know more about the new system. I know there are people who like 4th edition out there, but I, I am not anywhere near a rules lawyer. There was just too much to memorize and too many page-flipping referencing. I, I could not do 4th edition. And so I was really excited because I heard 5th edition was not very rules-heavy, that it was very go-with-the-flow, rule-of-cool kind of a thing. I, I went in there to learn all about it, and... I was mostly interested in encounters, the Wednesday night adventure league games to kind of introduce new players to it and that kind of stuff. And I asked if they had any DMs uh, to do it, and he said no. They used to, but not anymore, and they were looking for people who would do it. I immediately volunteered to help with that because I really wanted to learn the system, and I loved DMing. While I was there, I DMed there for a couple of years as adventure league encounters kind of runner for the store. I met some really, really awesome people there, and everybody wanted more games, so I, at that point in my life, was able to dedicate more time to D&D, and eventually I had three campaigns going on my own on top of Adventure League games. Because there were like 12, 15 people that were all just mishmash different ways into all of these games, I ended up just basically calling us a guild, and it kind of stuck. So fast forward a couple of years later, and between working in Minden, Nebraska, and the birth of my second daughter, I wasn't able to dedicate that much time to driving back and forth for games once a week on top of homebrew games on the weekend and everything else. Since I manage a motel at Piner Village in Minden, Nebraska, little plug there, visit the Herald War Piner Village, awesome museum. Um, but since I managed the motel there, we had an old room that was turned into an office and the tenant that was renting that office didn't need it anymore and it had been sitting empty. So I decided to set up shop here Pulled in a couple of six-foot tables and my computer and books, and we started running games here. So I was able to have folks come down and do games, and we had our own space set up, so we didn't have to worry about tearing it down, hauling stuff, and it worked really great. Since I am hearing impaired and I have a terrible memory, I started recording our home games uh, to help myself remember and to double-check facts later on when they would ask them. And a lot of what we ran was homebrew stuff we found because I have very ambitious players. And I myself collected hundreds of homebrew options between races, classes, subclasses, mechanics, spells, 
uh, all spread across Reddit and other forums like Tribality and a DMS Guild when it released. I threw all of that in a Google Drive folder and I shared it with all my players and we really ran off of that, but it was really hard for new players coming in to sort through that whole mess because it literally was hundreds of options. That was a major part of kind of why the podcast got started. On top of that, I love audiobooks and podcasts. Uh, I was inspired a ton by the DMs block, uh, Drunks and Dragons, Going in Blind, Crit Roll, all of those wonderful D&D podcasts. And so I decided to go ahead and just turn this into a podcast. People wanted to know what options were out there. And we decided that rather than just sit and talk about it, uh, we would show it off in an actual game. That's kind of how that got started, and the rest is history. We're here now, hoping to expand and eventually live stream. And with any luck, we'll get some of our home games up on the Patreon as well for those that are interested. The other thing that I'd like to talk about, a uh, new section here just a little bit within the long rest, is a DM recommendation. We are only able to showcase a few options a month, and a lot of them would be a single thing within a packet of classes, a compendium of classes, uh, races, whatever the combination happens to be. So I'd like to talk just a second about a really awesome packet that I found on D&D 5th Edition Facebook group that I belong to. As I said earlier, I am hearing impaired. I'm actually considered mild, moderate hearing loss in my left ear and moderate to severe hearing loss in my right ear. I'm right kind of on those borderlines. And that's part of the reason why I started recording was so that I could listen later and make sure I didn't miss anything. And this packet really caught my attention because it had sign language, ASL, as one of the headers that said new subclasses. And I thought that was really cool. So I checked it out. It is entitled Bigby's Handbook, which is an absolutely hilarious title. Uh, if anybody knows Bigby's Hand, um, handbook, puns, I love it. Uh, so I checked it out, and it is a very, very quirky packet. It has some hilarious features. There's the background that's in it is you're one of Bigby's evil clones. There's some subclasses, including a monk that casts fist, uh, kind of a mage hand monk, a handymancer, and there's a bunch of funny spells as well, entitled, like, Bigby's Muffling Mitten. Uh, it's, it's great. And there's two pages of different magic items, all hand-themed, to check out. So I encourage everybody to look it up. And what made me decide to do this as my first recommendation on a long rest was the fact that he gave a shout-out to Sign Language at the very end and actually created a spell that I am super interested to try if I ever get to be a player in one of the games. I would love to try it out. It's a cantrip that lasts for like 10 rounds, and it allows you to use Sign Language in place of verbal component. And it also allows your familiar to speak for you if you use Sign Language. And as somebody who is hearing impaired, I thought that that was super cool. And anybody who creates content that either helps empower players with disabilities or makes them feel more like, I hate saying this word, but normal players, you know, that is just really awesome. Uh, it, they, everybody, anybody that does that has a special place in my heart. If you do, shoot me a link to it. I will check it out and give you endless praise for it because I love it. So once again, that is Bigby's Handbook, and it's on the DMS Guild. It was worth the buck ninety-nine I paid hands down. So that, that's my last pun. I apologize. Speaking of disabilities, if you're looking for a great podcast that involves those with disabilities, this one is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, it is entitled Going In Blind by Morgan Jenkins. He is 
a wonderful dungeon master and uses some extremely creative storytelling sound use with Sirenscape. I know a lot. Sound effects like descriptive terms for his players who are visually impaired. And it is a ton of fun. He's an amazing DM. His descriptions are phenomenal. I try my best to emulate that when I'm able. So please check both of those out. You will not regret it at all. For next week, we're going to have a special treat for you. Our first themed episode is going to release for the Homebrew Review. The theme is Final Fantasy. All of our content in that is going to be Final Fantasy related. Uh, it, I am so looking forward to this. I am a massive fan of the Final Fantasy series. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Look us up on Facebook, at Guild Adventure, or join our Patreon to donate to make the show better. And for as little as $2, you get a chance to actually join the show and connect with us online at the table if you're near Little Minden, Nebraska. And thank you all very much. Here's where we will sign off for today. Thank you for joining us, Micah, and thank you all of you for listening. The sun is rising and the party is getting ready to continue on their way again. We hope you join us next time for a long rest. <music>